0: We're going to start today in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 50. And uh, it's a great story and kind of reminds me of something that uh, that bothers me. Um, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I hate when I lose something. And I lose things daily. Uh, I lose things all the time, my car keys, to you name it. But I hate losing something. Now, something I lost very, very valuable to me was was quite recently, the past two years ago, I'd say two to three years ago, I lost something very, very valuable to me. I was working at church and we were setting up for an event and we're getting everything together, getting everything right. And uh, I decided to bring my children with me, though. So at that time, I had my son, Liam, and he is about three years old. And, and my wife said, Make sure that, that he stays with you the whole time, Adam. He's gonna stay with you. And I said, Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's with me. I promise you, I won't. I'll know right where he's at. And he's with me for most of the time that we're setting up for this event until I turn around at one point and I couldn't find him anywhere. Now, I don't know, in that moment, I, I wasn't gonna call my wife and say I lost him. I, I decided I'm gonna find him first. So I, I took off down each hallway here of the church. I looked in the nursery, he wasn't there. I, I ran over and looked in the choir room, he wasn't there. I, I went to the drums, he wasn't in the drums cage. I was like, where in the world is he? And finally, a lady who was cleaning came around and said, Pastor Adam, do you know your son is, is down that way? I said, oh, good. So I, I ran, and, and the first thing I came to was a sock. And I ran about 10 or 20 other feet and there was another sock. So I kept going and, and sure enough, there was a shirt and then there were his shorts. And I was terrified to see where else we were going to go with this. But sure enough, I, I make a left and there was the pull up. And so my son is standing right there in front of me with nothing on at all, with his hands up, smiling, ear to ear. But I found him in that place just like that. Now, you might say, wow, that was, that's crazy. I was kind of proud. He danced like David danced. So he's very biblical, comes from a good home. But what was crazy to me is, though, that I lost my son in the church. Now, I know maybe you have done the same thing, too. Uh, I've done it multiple times, and maybe I'm not the only one, hopefully not, who has lost their son or their daughter, maybe in a supermarket or somewhere. But I know this. What's crazy about this story is that we're not the only parents who have lost their son or daughter. And I want us to look right here in Luke chapter 2. This is a crazy story. I, I, you never understand it. I, it's unbelievable. Mary and Joseph, who are Joseph's parents, or Jesus's parents, rather, They go to the temple because it's the time for the temple feast. And so they're there for the festival. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when he was 12 years old, they went to the feast as they always did. And after the feast days were over, they started home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. It's right here in the Bible. Verse 44, it says, Thinking that Jesus was with them in the group, they traveled for an entire day. And when they began looking for him, they looked among their family and their friends. And I just want to speak this, this moment right here just about the title, Missing Jesus. And what does it mean when we miss Jesus. So Lord, we just ask that wherever we are watching this right now, I pray that uh, your presence is there. And God, that we would lean into your word. And God, let us grow by it. And God, make us one step closer to who you are in your image. And everybody said, amen. And so I can't imagine, I I honestly cannot imagine this, this moment. You know, Mary you know, Mary, they're, they're in the days before Amber Alerts, okay, before the flyers that were up like at Walmart they would put up. This is before those days, okay? So these are the days of just going around town saying, have you seen my son who looks like this? And they would, you know, I guess have his hair a certain way or whatnot, but can you imagine Mary in this? She would, she would probably have her wallet out saying, have you seen my son? He, he looks like this. No, no, you haven't seen him? Oh, okay. And and these are just pictures that I've Googled before. So, But, uh, you know, maybe he looks like this. You know, have you seen him? And there he is. (laughs) Have you seen this one? You know, or okay, maybe you haven't seen that one. What about this one? And she goes on and on (laughs) trying to describe how her son looks because they cannot find him. I can't imagine the terror knowing that you've traveled for an entire day. And eventually, actually, they travel three days, not knowing, this is crazy, before they find out that he's not with them. So there they are, helpless, and at some point, hopeless. So they decided to do something, though. One of them came up with a a plan to go back to the last place that they knew he was there. They decided to travel back to the temple because that was the last place they remember being with him. I want to really lean into that, that if Mary and Joseph can lose God in God's house, I think you and I could have a problem losing God in God's house. I see it all the time, and I see it in my own life. I saw it in my own life and throughout my testimony. I grew up as a as a pastor's kid, technically, and we moved all over the place and I was around the things of God all the time and, and eventually became extremely familiar with them to the point where that, that led into where we'll get in just a little bit. In verse 45, it picks back up. Here they are, they're helpless, not knowing where to go. They go back to where they last remembered. Verse 45 says this, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him there. And after three days, they found Jesus sitting in a temple with the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And when Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother, as you can imagine any mother being, his mother said to him, son, why did you do this to us? Now that first word, why, is one that cuts to every child. Why did you do this? Not just how, but why. It says, why did you do this to us? Your father and I were very worried about you, and we've been looking for you everywhere. And Jesus says to them, now this is not Jesus kind of sassing back. This is the Son of God, which you can imagine the pressure on two parents who were younger raising the Son of God. Mary knowing who he was, and Joseph as well. This moment was probably an intense moment for both of them trying to figure out why would you stay at the temple, Jesus? And this is what he says. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But it says that they didn't understand the meaning of what he said. Mary and Joseph, they're in God's house, lost God. We see it now in a time post-pandemic, when we couldn't meet in the temple, we couldn't meet in the church. Things are different now. The, the way church is done is different. Things are, are upside down in a sense. The pandemic has turned families upside down in homes and homes and just our spiritual life is, is desiring more. We have to have more and we have to walk with Jesus. It's not enough to be in the temple and not know him. It's, we have to come to that relationship with him. So I see... I see three things that jump out to me in this passage when I read it. And I think it's three things that a new church is crying out for. I believe it's a generation that's crying out for three things that they're just done with. You know, there's this word, this term churched. I grew up churched. As you heard, I did. I I grew up churched, so churched that I wound up falling into deep sin and, and addiction the place where I was mad at God. But this churched word, we hear about it all the time. I was so churched. I'm, I, I need to de-church. Well, there's a word that I feel like really God's put in our hearts and our spirits that we really need to do that. We're done playing the games of church. So in a way, it's time to unchurch a little bit. It's time to be the church, but church isn't a building. It's, it's a people. And so I'm looking at the three things. And the first thing is this. Number one, I hear a generation crying that we're over-churched and we're underwhelmed. We're over-churched and we're underwhelmed. I like the way St. Augustine puts it. He says this, that familiarity breeds contentment. When you're familiar with something, when you're around it all the time. We bought a couch. All right. So now my wife and I, at this moment, we had just gotten married. We wanted to make our first Purchase as a couple. We were so excited. We went everywhere. We wound up buying it over here at Ashley Home and Furniture. So we, we it took us forever to find it. And when you try out a couch, you have to go up to each one and sit on it. We, there's a process. You don't just look for the one you want. So I knew that I had to go through and extensively try out each couch. And I even did, you know, I, I laid back. I, I'd do my nap the way I took my nap. And, you know, and I, we found the perfect one the day they delivered. I remember. They put together it was a big sectional, one of those big sectionals, and I got all the kids. I've got four children. I gathered them all together, and I said, kids, do you see this couch? And they said, yes, sir. I said, we've got a few rules about this couch. They said, what is it, Dad? I said, number one, you don't touch this couch. You don't sit on this couch. I'm joking. I'm joking, but I, I had a lot of rules. I had rules like, uh, you know, we don't jump on the couch, you know, we, we don't eat there at the couch. That was a hard one. That didn't last long. There was all these rules, don't pick up the couch cushions, we don't throw the pillows, we, it's not a wrestling ring you can imagine. And and for a while we respected that, but eventually we got familiar with the couch. It is now torn to bits. It is a WWE wrestling ring in a certain sense, and is hardly holding on by a thread. But you know, I realized something. Something that we held up so high in regard, it was, it was everything to us that we got so familiar around it that it just became common and ordinary. And we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a, a great picture of this. It's a great picture of this because, you know, in the Old Testament, in this time in 2 Samuel the Ark of the Covenant was being transported. If you don't know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, very quickly, it was this, like a box, in essence, with two poles for people to carry, for four people to carry, and, and inside there was, it was God's presence, right? They were carrying God's presence, and, and literally, they would take it from place to place, and they, they were transporting it back to Abinadab's house. And they wanted to bring it back into Abinadab's house. And there it is. It stayed there for a while in uh, Abinadab's house. And Abinadab had a son named Uzzah or Uzzah. And And in that place, they were trying to figure out how to carry or how to take the Ark of the Covenant back. And so they're there and... It for a while, of course, it's, it's tough to carry the, the ark. It's, it gets a little heavy. So finally they said, well, why don't we just figure out and rig something up? So they, they found a donkey. And so they whistled for this donkey and they bring this donkey up and they, they lift up the ark and they put it on the donkey. And, and then they just hit the donkey one time and the donkey takes off, taking the pressure off of the people. And now we can just stroll. There's a problem with that, that What God designed for them to do was to carry the presence of God on the shoulders of men. And that's where they went wrong. See, they tried to carry it a cheap way, a different way. So they whistled and said, let's do this the the easy way, our way. And and they bring this donkey and this donkey down the road will come to represent Christ. As this donkey is what's used to to carry the presence of God. And, And it became a mechanism became just a thing, a routine. It was no longer this holy, reverent moment of carrying God's presence. It was, this is heavy. How do we just put it on something else? And so they put it on the donkey, and there enough, sure enough, of course, the donkey comes to a place where it tips over. The Ark of the Covenant begins to sway, and sure enough, there it goes. And there, the PK, the pastor's son, Abinadab's son, Uzzah, he runs over to the Ark of the Covenant, and he tries to grab it before it falls. And he puts his hands on it, which he forgot. You aren't supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And as he touched the Ark of the Covenant, God struck him down dead. I always thought that was so cruel or mean. And truth is, it's, it's not. It's not that, that Abinadab's son was just familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, He grew up seeing it. He was always around it. It's not just that he was familiar. I think he was complacent. I think he had grown satisfied and he just didn't care any longer because familiarity breeds contentment to become complacent where we touch what's sacred and make it common or begin to look at churches and see people that have seen it all and done it all. We, how many revival services and you know it's almost like it becomes predictable what we've done and I've seen we begin to put church in methods and we've begin to put God's presence on programs and those kind of things and and God's not coming back for programs and and for our uh, amazing productions and and for those things he's coming back for people and and that is what God is showing his church now is that It's not about what it used to be about. It's no longer about having the big crowds and just the awesome uh, lights and the great music. It's not about that anymore. It's got to be a heart thing. We're in that era post-pandemic where things have really have shifted and shaped us. And we need something solid, a foundation that will continue to to withhold us in moments of storms and trials. And I believe that so much. But one of the scariest things is we've grown bored. We've grown bored with the things of God. We're so bored as, as a people. We're so bored as a people that we have to have a TV everywhere we go. I counted 50 TVs out of Buffalo Wild Wings. 50 That's crazy. We have to have a TV. Every restaurant we go to for my kids, there's either an iPad or a phone tossed around, all of them. Everybody has a glowing face now. We have to be entertained because we're so bored, which leads me to the second point. This is it. That we're over-entertained, yet we're under-impressed. We're over-entertained, and we are under-impressed. There's entertainment at every turn now. You can see it. It's culture. It's who we are. What's amazing to me is there's entire cities devoted to entertainment. You've got Orlando. You've got, we go to Pigeon Forge, right? There's nothing like the Redneck Riviera. We love that place. But entire cities devoted to nothing but entertainment for us us to just leave to go and, and give and spend money because it's an entertain me culture and the church is now beginning to be a place where we have to entertain. We feel the pressure to put on something to, to I guess sometimes we think we got to make God look good, but I got news for all of us. We don't have to make God look good. God already is good. He's the creator of all things. He's the master of the universe, the author and the finisher, the savior and the redeemer and the deliverer and our friend. He's our everything. You, we can't get bored with God, it's impossible. As God changes like a mystery and a myriad before us, I, I, I'm so done with people who say I'm just bored with the things of God. And and I couldn't believe I could ever get there. Honestly, I, I had I was I grew up with I privileged with church being around church. There's some people that they didn't even know who Jesus was. I was around so much uh, things a. Uh, uh, Christian things, the church uh, services, revivals, and it would be impossible for somebody like me to slip into sin and addiction. But, but sure enough, I did. Became to where I needed to be entertained everywhere I went, and that's that's the church today. Entertain me, entertain me when I get there. How good is this program? How good is? Do they sing the songs I like? I'm not going there if it's not for me. If they don't cater to. Me and, and church has never been about me. It's, it's been about a mission. A lot of times we're preaching a gospel to come and find a church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is finding Jesus. It's the good news. It's the heartbeat of what God is saying. I believe that's the purpose. The truth is God doesn't need our help to look good. And there's got to be a hunger for just who he is. It's going to have to get more simple, honestly. Just talking frank as if you're not behind a screen. It's like we're just talking. I don't know the things you're going through. I don't know where you're watching this. If you're watching this on your phone, on an iPad, the location doesn't matter. But I don't know the spiritual location of where you're at. On the corner of helpless and hopeless, not sure on where to go. Wherever this message finds you in this moment, I believe that there is a hunger rising up in us for something more. It's gotta be about the person of Jesus. It's about him. Number three, the last thing is this, that we are over-churched and under-reached. Over-churched and under-reached. Verse 48 says, Son, why did you do this to us? Your father and I were worried. You can hear her voice, right? We're so worried about you and we've been looking for you everywhere. Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Where have you been, Jesus? I'm sure they had nicknames for him as, as we do as parents. Where have you been, Jesus? We've been looking for you everywhere. We went down to the playground, we went down, we went to Chick fil A. But it was a Sunday, so they were closed. But here we are looking for our son, and, and you're in the temple? You're talking to the priest? It's been three days. And Jesus, in this moment, in this one sentence, and didn't you know I would be in my father's house? He's giving us his address. He's giving us his GPS coordinates. Something shifted from Old Testament to New Testament. When Jesus stepped into the picture, you see the temple changed. The temple, which used to be built with amazing structures where we would come and see these amazing things. And you had to go to where God was. But then once you got there, it was based on were you good enough to get to where he is? So priests could go and and those that were holy enough. But then there was a place where we all had to stop and there was this veil so the only thing that common folks like us, we would just see this curtain type structure. And we just had to guess that God was back there and whatever happened back there was so mysterious and wonderful, uh, but we didn't get to, to be a part. Something happened when Jesus hung on the cross, the veil that was in that temple torn. And in the moment, I can't imagine being inside that temple as, a, as it literally tore for us to gain access back to where we couldn't. For us to see that place where Jesus, where God's presence is. He's giving us this new address, and it's a new temple. The Old Testament was a temple, but the New Testament, the temple is in us. We are the temple. If you're looking for Jesus in your life, if you're sitting there wondering where is God or when is he going to show up, We've been looking for you everywhere. Where have you been? We've gone a long, long time. He would say, I'm in the same place that I've always been. He's about his father's business. He's about the temple and the new temple is right here. But Jesus does things uniquely also. He's about locations. He's about meeting us in divine moments and divine locations. 979 East 3rd Street, Chattanooga, Tennessee is a very special location for me. It's a very special location because that is the place where I met with God in a room. My youngest daughter was born uh, with many medical problems and conditions. She has Down syndrome, but what was the worst was the uh, the stomach condition called Hirschsprung's disease, and so we didn't know these things. Well, they rush her to the hospital just uh, weeks after she's born. We rush her down to to the hospital here at the T.C. Thompson, and and there we are. We take her in, and they say we have to do surgery immediately. Uh, She might be septic and so this whole process has just led us uh, into the intensive care u- unit and us trying to figure out uh, what is going on with her. But well, while we're there, it's, uh, we're a couple hours in, and I'm, I'm pacing back and forth, and we have been in and out of hospitals for weeks. I didn't ask for this. It's not something I, I asked for. My job, my family life, friends, all these things had to just hang in the balance Everything got put on hold in a way, and I wasn't ready for this, and I kind of felt like I lost God, yet I was working for him in his house. I was so mad and angry, and I just was mad at the conditions of life. My life became about hearing beeps and monitors and having a wristband all the time. My life became eating in the cafeteria, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for a long time. And, and I was really bitter. I was starting to get angry and I kind of lost touch with God. And one night I, I knew God was showing me something. I heard the doors swing wide open to the intensive care unit and they rush in what looks to be about a five or six year old boy laying on a, a gurney and he's covered in blood. The whole thing is covered in blood. And as they, they are running, they zip right past us and hook them up to the machines in our, the room next to us on the left. And as they're hooking them up, I'm standing in the hallway. I'm listening to my, my daughter's monitor, but also listening to the new monitor that's in front of me. And I don't know if you've ever been in a room where you hear a heart monitor going. It's very, very real. Things get very, very real. And we're hearing life as it's happening and doctors are doing everything they, are, they can to try to save him. Apparently, there was a bad accident, and, and he is the only one that has survived. And they brought him in, and, and he's there, and they're, they're trying to do everything. They're, they're using the paddles, and I'm hearing the beeps, but eventually I hear that dreaded, just long beep. And he went home to be with the Lord. But I had never really been in a place where that's happened in front of me. Never seen anybody pass away. I watched. As they turned off machines, what happens after that? And as they walked out of that room and began to write down notes, I just went back in my room and listened to my daughter, her heartbeat, and I sat in a chair and just thought, how much longer are we gonna endure this? And then God showed up in a very, very real way. It's almost like it got warm in there. And and I just kind of began to sing a song about how good God is and about how wonderful he is. It's, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. It was the only thing that I could really come to. I hadn't been to the location of a church, but I know that God met me in a temple that night and it was right here. I, I believe that wherever you are, It's getting really personal. It's very personal. And this relationship with Jesus has to be very personal. Cannot be just this corporate thing or our parents' relationship with Jesus. It's gotta be personal. And I don't know the personal situation you're in right now, but I wanna encourage you that there is a real Jesus. And if you're asking where he is, he's in the same place. He's closer than the air that's coming out of and the breath that's coming out of our lungs right now. He's that close. So if you're over-churched, you're tired, you're bored, you're burnt out, I want us to look at that story and be reminded, and be reminded that God is closer than we think. I want to pray, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for every concept and truth that's in it. Every story, parable, God, every poem, God, you, you formed your word together. And Lord, I, we're so grateful that we have it to read and to, to, to give, Lord, to other countries. God, we don't know the power that it has. But today, Lord, we, we learned that it is possible to lose you around the things of church. It's possible for us to go to church day in, day out and Sunday in, Sunday out, but not have a relationship with you to be so close yet so far. And the little things of life, the circumstances have a way of drawing us away, but God, you draw closer. And so Lord, anyone watching this message, Lord, we just pray hope. We pray restoration and healing. We pray that you bridge back the gap, Lord, that maybe we had from you. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name, in your wonderful name,
1: amen. Come on, wasn't that such a powerful testimony from Adam and his family and his baby, Ivy? And while we're speaking about babies and children, you know, we pre-record these messages. They come out before Sunday. And so last week when the Roe v. Wade thing came out, we had already recorded our message and I wasn't able to publicly address it to our online community. So I want to take just a moment and I just want to celebrate I want us to celebrate what God has done in our nation, the miracle of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And the reason we celebrate it is not a political reason because we don't celebrate politics in church, but we do celebrate biblical things. And this isn't a political thing, this is a biblical thing. We believe that number one, God is the author of life. And so he is a life giver. Everything about him is life. So anytime life wins, we celebrate. Number two, historically, the church, before there was America, before there was Republican and Democrat, the church has always been a movement that has been pro-life. When we are at our best, we have been people that have made hospitals and orphanages. We've cared for the sick. This is what the church has done since its inception. So we celebrate because it's biblical, we celebrate because it's historical, and we celebrate today because we believe many lives will be saved. So hey, it's not, a, it's not over, okay? We celebrate today, but we know we got a lot of work to do. We're gonna be a church that supports life. That means we gotta roll up our sleeves and get to work even though we're celebrating today. Church, we love you. Thank you for tuning in to Virtual Church. And of course, please come see us nine or 11 o'clock live on Sundays, but we're always here at 10 a.m. for Virtual Church. Have a great week.